welcome, welcome to the Hoagie Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined today by Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, how are you? I'm good. Um, at some point, we'll get all three of us together. I know Mikey's kind of busy because he's got, you know. Two full-time uh, jobs and a marriage and, and a pregnant wife. Yeah, I was going to say, and an expecting wife. So, yeah, I know he's a busy guy. But, um, nah, man, it's a, it's a fun time of year. Um, I'll open it up on a, on a slight sad note. I will not be in Blacksburg this weekend. Uh, some, yeah, something came up for work, and I will be busy um, earlier that day. But I will be watching the game, which, again, thank you, Jesus, that the Virginia Tech spring game is on television for the first time in a very long time. Yeah, no, definitely a uh... – a positive there. Well, thank God they're actually just having a spring game in general. It's been since what, 2019? Yeah. And we're like, we're actually getting like a game format. It's not a, it's not like, Hey, we're going to have 30 practice, you know, sessions of like five minutes a piece or something like that. Uh, yeah. You know, we'll, no, that, I mean, that's just a glorified practice. That, I mean, spring game is already close enough to a glorified practice. So you should try to make it as much of a game as you possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's good for the fans. It's good for the, the student or the, the athletes too, because they're not going to get any game action until, you know, several months from now. So uh, it's good for everybody involved, but um, unfortunately I will not be there to witness it in person, but I am looking forward to not just seeing spring game on the ACC network, but actually to look for some specific things. And we'll certainly talk about that in this episode. Once you, uh, once you pay the bills. Yep. That's exactly where we are heading. But first we got to thank the good folks over at main street pharmacy, main street pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy you want to go to. If you want a healthcare provider that truly cares about you, be a neighbor, not a number, and look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. Main Street Pharmacy got a shout-out in my article today. It was uh, 247. Go read it. It's about NIL. It's good stuff. Got some quotes. I need, I need Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Counts, who is at HokiePHFarm on Twitter. I need him to edit his bio, right? So it says, pharmacist king hokey and i think at the after king he should have twitter provocateur which is now his his new label that you have christened him on vt scoop say good description <laughs> as good as i could come up with <laughs> but of course you know jeremy comments on that article my favorite part about this article is myself it's like i'm sure it is <laughs> honestly my favorite part about the article is you as well but hey let's get right into spring game stuff obviously there's a whole lot to look at and i guess we can start with the uh the quarterback competition jason brown and grant wells the clear-cut front runners uh, in that race, that's to no surprise. I went to practice. They were getting the majority of the reps. The other guys, not as much, but again, they're younger. There's no expectation there. These are two guys who both had Division One experience, different routes. You know, Wells playing at Marshall, who, you know, I, I believe he got to start as either a true freshman or a redshirt freshman there in Huntington, West Virginia, playing for some teams that at one point had J.C. Price on staff. Um, and then Jason Brown, St. Francis of Pennsylvania, gets the transfer to South Carolina now exercising that extra year of eligibility to come back home to the state of Virginia to play for the team that he always wanted to play for as a child. You know, 
a mixed bag and probably two different kind of quarterbacks. What do you expect to see out of these guys, Ricky? And do you believe that we can go into summer with a feeling that one of these guys is a clear advantage over the other on the depth chart? I would be surprised if we had a clear cut starter after this. Um, I know that the coaching staff would like to get to that point. I would like to be able to get to that point. I just don't think it's feasible. Um, these guys haven't been in the program long enough. They haven't had enough time to work with the receivers that they're going to be working with. Um, I just think it would be better. Now, now if you want to have someone who is, you know, one, right, but maybe not necessarily locked in as the starter, but you want to have a clear-cut guy who's getting the majority of the first-team reps once summer, uh, summer practice rolls around, that's fine. I'm cool with that. I just think that locking down the competition before preseason practice is unlikely. Uh, you would like to get to that point because you want to get your starter as many reps with the ones as possible. Uh, but I'm not sure that there is enough of a gap. And we don't even know who's who's the, the front runner right now. So I'm not sure that there's going to be a big enough gap between these guys come Sunday, you know, 24 hours after, to where we can sit here and say, okay, there's your starting quarterback. Who's going to be around him? Um, I would like to get to that point. I just don't see it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... It's interesting, right? Because I feel like we were always so frustrated during the Justin Fuente era that they refused to name a starter. And I feel like this is really the first time in, gosh, how, I mean, how long has it been that we truly, even at this point, don't have much of an idea of who that guy is going to be. I mean, we know it's going to be one of the two, but... You know, we always, I mean, obviously, Funday did his best to hype up Burmeister over Hooker during that summer, where that was like probably our biggest talking point on this podcast. But we all knew that was yeah. kind of lip service. And then yeah, that, was, that was incredibly frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> now we find ourselves in a genuine competition. But I'm curious, you know, who gets that third string job, though? Do you think the freshman Farrell has what it takes to overtake uh, Taj Bullock? And if he does, what does that mean? Yeah, this is something that Mike and I touched on a little bit in the last pod. And, and Mike was of the belief that if, if Taj Bullock – is is core is QB three, um, that he the chances of him sticking around are higher. And my argument was I'm not sure that it matters. Um, I have a feeling that once the spring practice session is over, and Taj Bullock has you know met with the coaching staff afterwards, uh, I have a feeling that he'll be on his way out. Um, He's, he's at the point in his career uh, where guys are starting to get antsy about being able to compete for a starting job. And, you know, Mike made a great point that Grant Wells is, you know, if he wins a starting job, not only will he have the incumbent status, but he's got another at least two years after this year. So Taj Bullock, the, the path to him winning the starting job is a lot more difficult if Grant Wells – uh, is your starter. Now, if J. 
Jason Brown as your starter, well, then, you know, when he leaves after the year because he's only got one year left, then it's kind of an open competition again between those two. But I just have a feeling that, you know, Taj, again, not did not commit to this coaching staff. Two transfers were brought in. Uh, there's, you know, it, it, it doesn't seem like Bullock has been able to lift himself ahead on the depth chart over Devin Farrell. So you've got a guy who's a true freshman coming in um, who is competing right away with, with Taj Bullock, who is in, what, his second year in the program now? Year number two. Yeah, so I just have a feeling that Taj is, is leaving. And, and, and it's a shame because I've always been someone who really wanted to see him grow because I feel like he's got, you know, he's got the tools that it takes. But I just don't think it's going to happen here in Blacksburg. Yeah, and that would be kind of a shame because at the end of the day, look, I we obviously know that the Fuente regime made plenty of mistakes along the way, but the fact that like in that Boston College game, they were unwilling to throw Bullock in there, the fact that in the pinstripe bowl, they would rather roll with Blumrick, knowing what he was capable of and seeing what we ended up seeing – probably speaks to where he's at in his development, which might not truly be his fault because, you know, his senior year was like three games because of COVID. So that, and he had to deal with Brad Cornelson as his, as yeah, his quarterback. Set him coach. back 10 years. Yeah. And, you know, Cornelson is known for uh, his ability to develop quarterbacks while he was in, while he was at tech. So I'm not sure he, I'm not sure he got a full, uh, per productive year in last year. I'm not even sure it was half productive. So, um, Devin Farrell may end up being number three by default just because, um, Taj Bullock isn't around. But I, I hope he stays because depth is, is extremely important. Virginia Tech has experienced this firsthand. Uh, the Hokies have had a rash of quarterback injuries over the last five years. Uh, Gerard Evans had his own injury issues. Josh Jackson was injured. Ryan Willis got banged up a couple times. Uh, Hendon Hooker was banged up a few times. Braxton Burmeister missed significant time. Connor Blumrick missed significant time. Um, I know that Virginia Tech is now recruiting a different kind of guy at quarterback, supposedly. Uh, maybe guys who are built a bit, you know, a bit thicker, a bit broad, you know, more broad shoulder guys, guys who've got a bit more meat on their bones. But um, you can you can lose depth at quarterback really really quick, and uh, the Hokies need as many you know as many scholarship QBs on the roster as they can realistically have, and uh, four certainly seems like a good number. But if Bullock is out, then all of a sudden you're looking at Wells, Jason Brown, who's gone after the year, Devin Farrell, and then Ben Locklear is as far as I'm aware, who is a walk on. Uh, which means after this year, Virginia Tech has two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. So hopefully, hopefully this isn't going to be an issue, but I'm certainly skeptical. So let's move to the running back room here. Probably the most crowded room at Virginia Tech. <laughs> certainly the most crowded room. This might be the most crowded position room in the country. Like yeah. nobody plays, nobody plays two backs on the field anymore. Right. So you've got what, like eight or nine guys. I think it's nine right now. It was 10 before like a couple transfers. Three, three spots, basically, because you're only going to 
you're generally only going to have three guys who are going to get carries on a reg, a semi-consistent basis. Yeah. I mean, so, you're going to have your, you're going to have your primary back. You're going to have your secondary back. And then you're going to have your like swing back third down guy. And <laughs> it seems like a lot of guys came into camp confident that they could be one of those. I mean, Malachi Thomas, I think you'd, we'd all choose to believe would be the front runner for that number one back spot so. based on what we saw last year. Uh, Jalen Holston's back in the program. You have Kashawn King, you have Chance Black, both of those guys probably competing for, you know, that third down swing back pass catcher speed guy role. No, not everyone can stay. So who do you think will? Well, you have to figure that Bryce Duke is going to stay. Um, he hasn't been around all that long. Um, I think Jalen Holston's at the point in his career where he's probably going to stay. I also think he's going to have a relatively significant role at running back this year. Uh, Keyshawn King, to me, seems like a guy who might be on his way out um, just because of the numbers. He's in a he, he, he's in a really tight spot because Malachi Thomas is obviously a younger guy who impressed in the limited, you know, the, the limited carries that he got last year. Um, now I know he did get banged up towards the end of the year and that's frustrating. Uh, and you, you know, you have to hope that that's not going to be a, uh, that's not going to be a, a recurring theme, but Keyshawn King just doesn't really have a realistic line, I think, to getting more than a handful of carries every couple games. Now, if a guy like Chance Black ends up moving to receiver, uh, that certainly opens up a spot. And you have to, you know, if you're Keyshawn King, you hope that you can fill in there. But um, the number, just the sheer number of players in this room is phenomenal. Um, I, I'm pulling up the roster now so I don't miss anybody because th there really is just a ton of guys. I mean, Marco Lee is still around. Jordan Brunson's a redshirt freshman. We haven't heard anything about him. Kenji Christian, another guy, redshirt freshman. Haven't heard anything about him since we started camp or since we started the spring practice. Jalen Hampton, I haven't heard anything about him either. Um, you have to figure that at least one or two of those guys are out. Um, they're going to go elsewhere and try and find playing time. So the Hokies need to downsize at this position anyway. Um, having eight or nine scholarship running backs is just absolute roster malpractice. Um, and the Hokies need to get that under control. And the staff didn't, didn't create that problem, but they have to solve it. It's their responsibility now. And I think we're going to see at least a couple guys uh, work their way out through attrition. Yeah, such is life when you are the new CEO taking over for the CEO that got fired for a reason. You, you can't complain about the messes you have to clean up because you chose to inherit them. You knew the situation coming in, and uh, that's the task that Brent brought. And I will say this. It's a whole lot better problem than having, like, three scholarship running backs, right? Because cause then you're, like, worrying about relying on walk-ons, you know, to fill out your two deep. So – I would rather Virginia Tech have this issue and then have to trim down than Virginia Tech, you know, what we're sitting here looking at, we're like, all right, there's Jalen Holston, there's Malachi Thomas, 
and who else you know like i, I would rather not have that issue i know that that's kind of an which issue is the right issue now. in the receiver room so yeah. let's transition and, to that do and you agree on the offensive line but yeah, yeah um, receiver. next two topics coming your way let's do our receivers first um Obviously, Jaden Blue is going to be the big name as the transfer. Uh, you have Caleb Smith coming back. He's been, you know, somewhat productive. It's really the only true, like, decent sample size you have of a wide receiver playing in orange and maroon. You have the two younger guys. You have Connor Blumrick, who I believe will be wide receiver number one. Where do you stand? You think Connor Blumrick is wide receiver number one? I'm just trying to manifest it. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, Dwayne Lofton really needs to, to step up. Uh, he's, he's the guy who's in line and Virginia tech really needs him to, to be an explosive player. Caleb Smith is who he is at this point. I'm, I'm a Caleb Smith fan. He's a good special teams player. He's got reliable hands. He's physical and he blocks uh, very, very well, but he's not going to be someone who's going to give you a whole lot in the passing game. And, that's not good out of your receivers, right? Um, Dwayne Lofton definitely needs to to step up here. Um, I'm curious to see if Xavion Turner Bradshaw is able to work his way into some playing time as a true freshman. Uh, the spring game or generally? <laughs> generally. Um, like he's he's like Virginia Tech is going to need some of these young guys to take on big roles, and I'm not – I'm not convinced that he couldn't find his way up there just because there's not that many guys who he's competing with. Now you've got, you know, some guys who are not necessarily incumbents, but guys who have been in the program and, you know, Dallin Wright is someone that we heard a lot about when he committed. Uh, we haven't heard much since Jalen Jones has actually on field experience and that's helpful uh, for the Hokies, but this is really just a crapshoot after Jaden blue and Caleb Smith, I, I, I think we can pencil those two guys in as getting consistent playing time. Uh, Caleb Smith more so because of his physicality as a blocker and, and Jaden Blue just because he's the most experienced player in that room. After that, it's kind of a crapshoot, and, and you really have to hope that Dwayne Lofton is, is ready to assume serious responsibility at that spot. Um, I don't think we'll see much attrition out of this room because there's plenty of opportunity to be found there's reps to go around yes there's plenty of reps and um it's just a matter of who's gonna who's gonna take take those those reps and one of the things that i'm really curious to see in the spring game as it relates to the receivers you know what kind of route tree are we going to see in the spring game one of the things that i was uh a a frequent complainant about when it comes to the the justin fuente offense was that the route tree at the receiver level was very, very vanilla and very basic and very repetitive. And we did not see a lot of uh, versatility out of the receivers in terms of what they were being asked to do route-wise. Are we going to see a bit more of that? I know it's early, and I know they're still installing some base stuff in the offense, but are we going to see uh, you know, a, a bit more flexibility downfield with these receivers and what they can do and are they going to be able be asked to do some things that they weren't asked to do last year? I certainly hope that's the case. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if I feel the same way about, as you do about Xavier Turner Bradshaw, just as a guy that can step in. I, I mean, this was a guy that was super under-recruited. He was going to go to Vanderbilt, you know, until the final hour when the Hokies made the call. And though it seems like, and I've watched the tape, I mean, he's a 
you know, super Southwest Virginia guy. But I, I just don't know if that's a year one thing. I mean, if you think about the Hokie receivers that have really contributed in year one, it's like Isaiah, Cam, Trey, and Tavion Robinson. Like, those are three four-star guys. And, you know, it's a big ask. So, like you said, the pressure in that sense is on Dwayne Lofton to be able to take that step forward where, you know, a lot of Hokie fans wanted him to be there last year. He showed flashes towards the end, but, you know, I think it's safe to say he probably wasn't. But, you know, you have that full offseason to prepare, and hopefully by, uh, you know, come, come September in Old Dominion, he's ready to be a, a true contributing receiver because someone has to be, <laughs> and it can't just be Jaden Blue. And the odds of my Blumrick prediction are not high. I'm a well, betting man. I think, I think the odds that he plays a significant role in the offense are high. I just don't think we know exactly what that's, what that looks like. You know, does it look like him lining up at X? Does it look like him lining up in, uh, in the slot? Does it look like him lining up at H back? Uh, does he line up at running back? Like I, I, okay. I, I definitely think you're on, you're on the right track that he is. He's going to be like, he's going to be like a, an OW, right? Like he's just an offensive weapon and we have no idea where he's going to play. Yeah. Which and, is what, I mean, and that's why he's probably one of the most intriguing players to watch come the spring game. Yeah. Because, because you'll at least get a glimpse. Yeah. And you know, they're, and, and they're certainly not going to show us everything, right? Like they're going to have stuff planned for him that we won't see until mid September once they get through the ODU game. Yeah. So taking a look uh, Mike, edit that out. Taking a look makes no sense there. When I think about the Connor Blumrick situation, I agree with you. I could be right insofar as Connor Blumrick is a major contributor. In fact, I believe he will be. But Connor – so let's just make a, a blanket statement. Connor Blumrick is the second or third biggest contributor in the pass-catching game on the Virginia Tech roster the odds of that happening actually seem to be likely, but it mean, it could mean a variety of different things. It could mean, oh my God, Connor Blumrick is the second or third contributor, and he was a quarterback last year. We're throwing bleep at the wall and seeing if it sticks. This is a disaster. Or it could be, wow, we found Julian Edelman. He was a sleeping giant. Why didn't Quincy Patterson try to do this? You know, <laughs> it's just a total mystery. <laughs> yeah, I – and – so much of his, you know, how he is utilized will depend on those other receivers. And if, and if they warrant extra snaps, like is, is Dwayne Lofton being productive enough to where you want him on the field at receiver more so than Connor Blumrick? You certainly hope so. Um, what about Jalen Jones? What about, um, Dallin Wright what about any of those those other guys so we'll just have to wait and see I mean if I was one of the guys in that receiver room I would take it personally that you know they were throwing a quarterback at me and saying this guy might be taking some of your playing time like I would want to I would want to show that I'm better I'm better to play receiver than this quarterback so Hopefully that's a kind of a kick in the ass to some of these guys, and they go out there and prove that they're worthy of of significant playing time. 
Yeah, and you got to warn, though we will see stuff in the spring game, you know, the performance there is not necessarily indicative of where that room is and what things will look like come fall camp and who that, you know, how that depth chart ultimately plays out because you're just getting a small glimpse into what the coaches, you know, have seen every day and will continue to see more and more and more of as the, uh, you know, this initial Brent Pry spring and then ultimately fall camp progresses. But I want to turn to the offensive line and uh, let's see if I can do this off the cuff here. Janzi, Hanson, Jordan, Moore, Clements. That's your starting five. At every open practice, that's the starting five offensive linemen that they've been primarily rolling with. When I tell you that group, what word comes to mind? How do you feel about that group right now? Unsettled. Um, I mean, Silas Janzi is had some injury issues he's had some inefficiency issues uh, especially at tackle Parker Clements you know kind of got a crash course last year and and, you know maybe he's going to be able to take that next step Uh, Jesse Hansen is a guy who's been biding his time he's been waiting Um, he is he's basically had what two or three red shirt years now basically of just eating you know uh, eating the, the right diet in the weight room having a professional teach you how to lift weights and, and, and be conditioned. Uh, I'm hopeful for him. Johnny Jordan's an interesting guy because he's a, a huge vet and, you know, someone who's been around the block, uh, a bit of a smaller guy, someone who also has some injury, uh, injury issues in his past. Caden Moore, I, I would, I would have to have to bet that he's going to be able to uh, really hold down right guard considering he held his own for a good chunk of last year. Liked and, what I saw from him. Yeah. So, but there's there's a lot of questions on this line that make you make you unsettled, at least in, in my eyes. And the real issue is that you look behind the that group, and there really isn't anyone that that you look at and say, okay, there's someone who could earn his way into the group. I mean. Um, Bryce Goodner is in his second year. Um, you know, is, is Jack Hollifield ready? I don't think so, right? Like, he's he's listed at 271, and he was kind of a raw, undersized guy coming in anyway. I don't think he's ready to play. Um, there's just so many young players in this group. Uh, Daniel Malitic, uh, extremely raw, someone who is still probably still adjusting to the States. Johnny Dixon, true freshman, Brody Meadows, true freshman, Johnny Garrett, true freshman. Um, this room is hopefully going to look really good in about three years, right? But right now, it's it's definitely unsettling. Yeah, Rick, I'm right there with you. It's uh, – again, of those guys that you mentioned in the depth category, there's got to be one or two of them that make strides to the point where they're – formidable and maybe they surprise some people but you know get you're as strong as your weakest link in this game and we've seen with Florida State we've seen with Miami over the past few years where it doesn't matter how good your skill guys are things can't go right on the offensive line then that's an issue but on the other hand I do have faith in the guy coaching this group up group up right now to develop one or two of them in a short period of time to make them at least formidable I mean Joe Rudolph it's one of the best there is in that department. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's – I mean, 
don't get me wrong. I was a huge Vance Vice fan. Um, he was really good at developing guys over time, but we're talking about someone who was building exceptional offensive lines at a program known for playing smash mouth, physical power football and dominating the line of scrimmage. So I am in no way uh, disappointed with that exchange. And, you know, there were talks about Joe Rudolph maybe becoming the offensive coordinator next year and that Tyler Bowen is here on a one-year deal. Um, So if that's the case, this is prime time for Joe Rudolph to show uh, that he has not lost any of his chops now that he's taken a trip south. Um, and if he can if he can put together a really competent line this year, it'll be – I'm not, you know, too read in on his coaching pass, but it's got to be one of the best coaching jobs of his career because he's dealing with a very, very young group. Indeed, indeed. All right, moving to the defensive side of the ball, where, where are you interested? I, I, I feel like I'm really focused on the offense right now, but where are you looking on the defensive side? Well, we've, we've talked a lot about this, this you know, 4-3 set and how Tech's adding an extra linebacker, and it's going to look a lot more like it did in the early 2010s when the Hokies played that base 4-3. Um, and I'm just uh, – I'm really curious to see how that position is used because the guys that they're putting there are basically former safeties. And um, that to me, that shows that the, the the kind of player necessary to play that position hasn't really changed. It may just be more so an alignment piece as to where they're going to be on the field. So a lot of people have made a big deal about this, you know, change of, abandoning the 4-2-5 and, and, and going to more of a traditional base 4-3. I'm not sure there's going to be that big of a difference. So I'm, I'll be watching that on Saturday. I am curious to see if any of these defensive linemen can take advantage of the matchup. Um, there's some experience here, uh, but there's a lot of guys that don't have that track record of production that really need to put on an impressive performance if they're going to put themselves in the two deep. Um, Mario Kendricks is someone that jumps out to me. Uh, Eli Adams, another guy that jumps out to me. We heard a lot about stretch Carroll when uh, he signed with the Hokies. Is he, is he ready to contribute? Uh, Wilfred Panay was someone who got a ton of, of applause and praise from the old staff as someone who adjusted to the game incredibly quickly. Is he ready? You know, cause he's someone who was a tight end before he came to yeah. Blacksburg and now he's, Indeed. he's on the complete other side of the ball. Josh Fuga, another guy who's in his third year in the program. Is he going and getting take, a lot of praise right now, by the way, yeah, the is, is, is he going to take the next step? Is Narell Pollard ready to kind of assume that, that, that lead role on the interior is Taiwan Garbett going to, you know, put together a, a really solid season and show that he can be explosive off the edge. There's a lot of questions on that defensive line. And I actually don't feel all that nervous about the, the secondary um, considering the guys that are returning. I think that if there's going to be a unit on this team, that's really impressive. It'll be that one. Uh, but they could have some faults if the guys up front are generating pressure and, um, football is so much often 
or so often, excuse me, about protecting your quarterback and getting to the other team's quarterback. That's, that's so much of this game. And Virginia Tech's got to be able to do the latter. Yeah, I, I'm curious, you know, a little further down the depth chart, Jaden and Jordan McDonald, guys that were both, I mean, they're local kids, Salem High School here, you know, Southwest Virginia, recruited as safeties, now a linebacker and a defensive end. I don't think that they're really in the mix for playing time right now. However, you'd like to see the development, how they look, because these are just guys that we haven't seen play football yet. <laughs> yeah, there's so many people in this, you know, that are going to be getting opportunities in the spring that we just haven't seen. And to me, that's one of the the cooler, you know, parts about this spring game, but it's also one of the the more stressful parts because there's so many things to watch. Uh, so this, the, I feel like the spring game is definitely going to be something that we're going to have to go back, you know, a couple times this summer and, and rewatch it to try and make sure we don't miss anything because there's so many different uh so many different players up and down the roster, whether they be in the front end or the back end, that um, are either hitting that time in their career where they need to show up or they just got here and you're curious to see if they're going to be able to stick around in this, you know, under this coaching staff. Because uh, most of these guys on the roster, uh, almost all of them, were not recruited by Brent Pry and his folks. So I think the Hokies will not be uh, – will not hesitate to start nudging some guys in a different direction if it means bringing in folks that they, that they believe in. Yeah, and I wish I had the, the roster scholarship situation at top of mind, but it's going to require some attrition, especially because, you know, we talk about guys leaving. Well, guys are going to leave other programs and – yeah, gonna, that's, yeah. Like the Hokies are going to want to look elsewhere. Like they're going, they're they're almost certainly going to look at wide out. I, I would be shocked if they don't look for a wide receiver. I'd be shocked if they don't look at the offensive line. Um, maybe even a tight end if there's if there's a productive tight end on the market because we haven't really seen a ton out of that position. I know Nick Gallo has been kind of here and there. Uh, Drake Dulius hasn't been a consistent presence throughout his career. None of the other guys are old enough. Um. So yeah, the, the, they're going to want to add at least <laughs> and, one or two guys. And it's funny though, because now I think of the defensive side of the ball, and you really you could add almost anyway. <laughs> yeah, the, so, the only the only position group that you feel like you don't have a spot for is maybe linebacker. Um. But after this year, you're going to have plenty of openings, right? So like maybe you you find a guy that um, knocking on the door. Yeah, who's knocking on the door, who can maybe be in the two deep this year and then can maybe start next year. So the bottom line is the Hokies are going to pursue a couple guys once spring practice is over, which means the amount of attrition is going to have to go up. Yeah, for those of you keeping track at home, we just said the Hokies could add someone at every position other than quarterback and running back. (laughs) Yeah, I'd be surprised if they added another quarterback. And they certainly will not add another running back because, good Lord, they have too many. <laughs> unless unless Taj transfers out, then they will add another quarterback, probably. I don't know. I mean, I think Brent Prime might just prefer to recruit an extra freshman. So True. Maybe I'm just emotionally scarred 
From I a, think we're all emotionally scarred after from a year ago when a, a staff's failure to recruit a competent backup quarterback via the transfer portal during the summer ultimately uh, doomed the team. Yeah, poor roster management. Poor Knox, man. Like, like hey, <laughs> McNeese State, I'm rooting for you, Knox. I hope you get the job. I I hope he kills it there. I really do. Um, but Knox had no business being a be it a division one power five quarterback unfortunately as much as i hate to say it well he was like that last minute recruit edition when hendon yep. entered the transfer portal the first yes, time he was he was committed to jmu the Hokies. the, the but Hokies, even played at jmu we don't the know. Hokies evaled him decided he was not a power five prospect and as soon as hendon hooker went in the portal for that however much time it was they realized they needed somebody and i guess he was next on their board and, um, yeah, we saw how that turned out. Like you said, McNeese State. I don't even know where that is. Louisiana. <laughs> I'm glad I don't know why I know that, but I do. <laughs> do you know where in Louisiana? Like, is it is it on the water? Yeah. Is it, like? Uh, I think I think they're nicknamed the Cowboys. That would – that's, like, my Rain Man talent, is knowing the nicknames of <laughs> Division One colleges. <laughs> Are they Division One? Are they FCS? Yeah, FCS. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm glad he got to stay at Division One. Yeah. The Southland Conference better watch out. Knox Cadence coming to town. <laughs> the Southland Conference. Lamar is shaking in their boots. <laughs> Where are they? <laughs> I don't, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not banging on Knox here because obviously, what kind of athlete was I? But still, oh, yeah, still, I still mean, pretty impressive to be able to play. You know, FCS football. Lamar is in Beaumont, Texas, wherever the hell Beaumont is. Yeah, the Sorry, folks. My, my Texas geography is uh, limited. Texas is like a country. But nonetheless, I, mean, I would say <laughs> one, one, last, one last guy I'm really curious to see, you know, how he looks out there. DJ Harvey, you know, that last big four-star recruit yeah. out of the state of California. And as we always talk about, Ricky – Guys that are from far away are most likely to leave when they don't have a true connection to here. So how does he look? Is he getting into that rotation with the first group guys? Because this is a guy where, I mean, he didn't get any meaningful time last year outside of special teams, which is not particularly meaningful from our ability to evaluate him, at least as a player. So let's, let's see what he looks like out there. I, I'm very curious. Uh, okay, well. I guess that's uh, covered all the bases there for spring game, Rick. Let's talk a little basketball before we shut this thing down. Uh, predictable. Naheem Ali enters the transfer portal, uh, as does John Ogiaco. Justin Mutz declares for the draft, leaves his eligibility open. Uh, what do you make of this? Let's start with Aline because I, I suppose that that is a guy who maybe I thought could have stayed. I think everyone knew that Mutz would at least dip his feet in the water. I think everyone thought Ogiaco was out the door. Naheem Aline's one of the the more interesting case studies, I guess, in Virginia Tech basketball um, over at least the last several years. We all kind of thought that Naheem was going to take a big step this year um, and that he was going to be, you know, kind of a, a reliable um, – a reliable perimeter presence – on the offensive end and if you look at his you know his actual game like his game by game statistics he did put up double figures a lot 
Um, the issue is that Naheem was incredibly inefficient this year. And uh, while he was a more than competent player defensively, he really held back the Hokies a little bit with some of his inefficiency, uh, especially from behind the arc. And uh, Naheem was never someone who was able to attack off the bounce on a consistent basis. Um, and you put that all together and his, he, he's probably hit his ceiling. I don't think Naheem is going to be able to grow his game all that much more in his career. There's a lot of room for Darius Maddox to grow. And we saw what Darius Maddox is capable of down the stretch. The Hokies benefited from giving him more playing time. No and also, kidding. <laughs> and also benefited from giving him more offensive opportunities. He wasn't just on the floor. He was on the floor and playing a, a critical role in the offense's uh, operation. He was the one um, who they gave the ball too late in the game in yeah. a close one. And thank God they did <laughs> because yeah. Virginia Tech wouldn't with, be in the NCAA tournament if they didn't. A team with three fifth-year seniors, and they went with Darius Maddox. Um, I know a lot of folks were nervous about Darius transferring, and I think we can go ahead and cross that off now because the Hokies uh, certainly are going to have some playing time out there on the perimeter with Naheem gone. I know that uh, people are really buying into the Rodney Rice hype. I certainly hope that that is legitimate. Um, but Darius Maddox seems like he is the – the guy uh, right now at the at the two or the three, depending on what this lineup looks like. So it's a shame that Naheem's gone because um, he was certainly a, a, a good defender, uh, someone who at times was a good shooter, um, and he would have been a really good depth piece. But I do think he is good enough to go start at um, a program that doesn't have a, a whole lot of talent right now in their backcourt. Yeah, and that's just such his life in college basketball. Naheem Aline, you know, going into his third, fourth year of college basketball. I think I think next year is his fourth. Yeah, because he was he was on the initial Mike Young team. You're not going to put yourself in a position where your minutes are going down. And with the emergence of Maddox, and he'll have an entire offseason, and we saw the huge strides that he took from year one to year two, you know, we can – you know, hope the sky's the limit for him going from year two to year three with the addition of Rodney Rice. It's just hard to see a situation where his role is not going down in a crowded backcourt. And at the end of the day, whether, I mean, I always say that, you know, every college basketball player wants to play in the pros. And the human league is probably not going to play in the pros. But regardless, he has eligibility remaining and he wants to, you know, say he never plays a minute of professional basketball at any level, he's going to want to use these final two years where he spends his time at a place where his time is most needed. And he's going to have the most opportunity to actually spend time on the basketball court and contribute. So, you know, thank you for your service, Naheem Aline. You know, the consistency wasn't there at times, but he was a great member uh, of the Virginia Tech basketball team. He was an ACC champion, one of just – 13 guys in Virginia Tech history that can say that. And uh, best All of luck. ACC academic, just yeah. like the rest of the guys. Like that, to me, that was really impressive that, you know, when Tech announced that, that they all made uh, the all ACC academic team. Um, so Naheem was certainly, uh, certainly had his head in the right place. Yeah, you know, a, a number of things you see that just lead you to believe that Mike Young's got this program 
totally going in the right direction. And that's an underrated one of them, right? Yeah. And, you know, Naheem, he shot 40, almost 41% last year from three. And then this year he shot 37. Um, and he did so on way more attempts. So you, you worry a bit that, you know, that, that, that 37% clip um, is not, you feel like that, or I should say, you feel like that 41% clip that we saw in, in 2020 is almost an outlier. And um, I think that his freshman year and his, his past season have shown that, but um, kind of transitioning to Ojiako, that one I find a little interesting um, considering that, you know, Aluma and Mutz both may leave um, if they both come back, which is certainly still possible, then it makes total sense for, for Ojiako to, to look elsewhere. Uh, but I, I did find Justin Mutz's decision interesting because I'm not sure he's going to hear the news that he wants to hear regarding the NBA draft. Uh, which would be a positive for Virginia Tech uh, because he would be more, much more inclined to come back. I mean, look, if you're Justin Mutz right now, obviously you've played, what, five, six years of college basketball, if you count the red shirts and stuff like that, your opportunity to play professional basketball is dwindling and the same could be said for Kevin Aluma. You're going to go to the NBA draft combine knowing that you're probably not going to get picked and you want to hear that either A – you're a potential undrafted guy that could, you know, make a run in the summer league, try to sneak onto a roster and be, I mean, like all the European scouts are going to be there. You want to see where on the hierarchy of European basketball you can end, end up because ultimately it's going to come down to an economic decision. You know, where can I make my best use of time? And if he's going to be thrown into some low level European league, if that's where they, you know, project him to be, well, then maybe you come back to Virginia Tech, get an extra year of education, your housing's paid for, your food's paid for, and hopefully the people could come up with a nice little, you know, multi-tens of thousands NIL deal for you to put a cherry on top. But, you know, if you can go play in the Spanish League where you're going to be netting $400,000, $500,000 and you get to spend your time in Europe and travel the world as a young man, I understand that decision too. I, it would be hard to convince me if I was Justin Mutz to not make that step. So I believe that whether we see Justin Mutz next year or not depends on, you know, to what league he is projected and then what the NIL situation is looking like for Virginia Tech as pertains to him. Because, I mean, and that's going to be a massive wild card that we're going to see for foreseeable future oh yeah when it comes to all of our athletes yeah and we'll we'll spend some some more in-depth time and, and conversation on the nil stuff after spring game because that's a full three-man pod right there yeah the, the, the Hokies made some some significant moves on that front and nick saban's talking about it um and i i, I think there's some interesting uh interesting discussions to be had there but this tech roster is is certainly in flux um, on, on the basketball side, and um, what it looks like now could be drastically different than what it looks like in July. So we just kind of have to be patient, wait and see. And and y you're spot on with Justin. You know he can he can make or he could he might be able to make significant money overseas. And a lot of guys go overseas and make really good money. They have excellent careers. They play in meaningful basketball games. 
uh, even though it's not the NBA. And uh, with the, the, the growth of the, of the G League, uh, that's an option as well. He could end up on a G League roster. So we'll just have to wait and see. Um, yeah, we're not professional basketball scouts. So <laughs> No, I'm not going to sit here and tell you whether or not Justin is a, is a lock to go play, you know, in the G League or in Europe or not. I, I, I think he's certainly limited when it comes to the NBA level. I think the same thing with KV Aluma, though. So here's what I'll say. I'm more confident that Justin Mutz could return than KV Aluma. You, you mean return to Blacksburg? Yes, return to Blacksburg. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 would, I would agree with that. I think KV Aluma is almost a surefire high level M- or European player. I don't know if Justin Mutz is. But again, we'll see. We'll see. You know, hey. He's got, and, he's, and, and to Justin's credit, he's already got two degrees, right? Like so, three. It, he has two masters and a bachelor's. Is it is it three? Okay, I knew it was. I knew it was multiple. Yeah. So, my man has been hitting the books as hard as humanly possible. Like, um, he was the academic, like person of the year in the ACC for basketball or yeah. for all winter sports. Yeah. So, the man, the man is a tremendous representation of Virginia Tech and. Um, tech fans will accept uh, begrudgingly or happily whatever his decision is. True that. True that. All right, Ricky. Actually, one last question. In terms of transfers, where would you project Alina and Ojiako to end up? Just give me like an example school that would be grouped in with other schools um, at that level. Aline could find himself at somewhere like uh, – Oh man, I'm trying to think of a maybe somewhere like a St. John's or like a I don't know. He he's from Georgia, so we probably need to go a bit further south. I mean, um, God, I can't even think of a. But I'll give you some what someone else told me on this one. He'd be a great fit at Richmond. Um, I You'll feel like good- he's. I feel like he's too big for Richmond. I, I feel like he can go – I don't think he needs to go that far down the totem pole. Um, you know, like, let me let me look up, like, uh, the American and see what – so I, just so I can get some teams in my, uh, in my head. Because I, I – I, I think, uh, you, think, you think the American's a better basketball conference than the Atlantic 10? I think that's kind of a, a draw. Yeah, I guess it's depending on the on depending that. on the program, of course. Yeah, because you got Memphis, who's you know really good, and Houston's really good. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what Memphis's roster looks like. Maybe there's a hole for him there. Um, you know, uh, maybe somewhere in the Big East. You know, at, at one of those schools, he's able to he's able to slide into. I don't think it would be. Um, I don't think it would be Villanova. You know, but um, looking at the the Big East here, like yeah. maybe I mean, somewhody like lot, I think a lot of schools would be willing. Most schools would be willing to take a guy like Mahima Lane. It's going to be a matter of a like fit with the coach. Does he like him? And B, how, how much are they willing one? to promise him? I'll give you a uh, I'll give you a dark horse. Maybe a school like Texas A and M. Gosh. But I mean, they, like, they, they, there are some programs in the SEC that could definitely use him. So I could see him finding his way to the SEC for sure. True. 
Very true. What about Ojiaco? Now, now we're in the Richmond area of, of conversation. Um, I don't, I don't think that there is a place right now for Ojiaco at the at the Power Five level. I, I should say the high major level. I think he would need to go down to a mid major program. Yeah, I I certainly agree. All right, Ricky. Any last words for the folks at home? Uh, rate, review, subscribe. Um, enjoy your weekend in Blacksburg. Um, if you're going to the game, make sure you bring. Uh, well, actually, it's all digital, right? So, like, don't bring five dollars in cash. You need to go ahead and and be able to pay electronically. Is that is that what they're doing, right? I believe so. I think they they're headed in that direction. Yeah. Well, anyway, just make sure you got some money in your bank account. Uh, hopefully, you've got that anyway. But um, enjoy yourselves at spring game. Um, I'm sure it'll be an excellent experience. You know, hopefully we'll have some commits to talk about uh, after the spring game as well. I have a feeling that we will, at least a couple. Um, Tweet at Mike McDaniel and tell him that the Hokie hangover is more important uh, than his two jobs. Uh, Do not tell him it's more important than his wife because that's that's crossing the line. She'll come after me at that point. Would not be good. But yeah, that's that's all I got. Uh, glad that we could get this episode out. And again, enjoy the spring game, and you know, act act responsibly. And hopefully, everybody will have a fun weekend. And also, you know, obviously, on the day of the spring game is April 16. Uh, I would encourage all of you who are coming into town for spring game to um, get there a little early and be there at midnight of you know of the 16th um, and go to the the um the ceremony outside of burris uh, at the memorial it's always an impactful moment and it was one of the the more memorable moments of my life in blacksburg uh so far yep agree with ricky we're out of here though uh you know shout out to ryan die 100 straight weeks of eating buffalo <laughs> wild eggs asian zing wings we're proud of you man uh, shout out to Louis Eustazen. Don't let that back injury in the Masters discourage you. Did you gonna... just mention Ryan Dye and his wings? Look, 100 weeks is a long time, Rick. It's a long time. <sighs> he got there. Look, I, I, was, I had a lot of classes with Ryan when we were students, um, and I have no problem saying this on air. Ryan, I, I, would, I would suggest switching it up, man. Like, Asian, Asian zing's got to get tiring after a while. Like, and also, too, like, Sharky's wings, way better. Like, it's not it's true. PKs. It's not, it's not close. It's a different – you're in a different conversation. So, um, Ryan, switch it up, man. Like, I will give Ryan credit. He lives in Bristol or somewhere near Bristol. I don't know. But regardless. Okay. Well, they've got to have some, some, like, small business wing pretty, joints pretty in Bristol. Yeah, it's a pretty big place, Bristol. Regardless – uh, yep, we're out of here. Shout out Main Street Pharmacy. We'll be back. Probably spring game recap. Like we said, we'll talk about the NIL. And, of course, so much more. The Hokie Hangover is a year-round operation. And we'll talk to you then. As always, go Hokies. 